Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Giving. Well, good morning. It is crazy out there. It's uh, finally, uh, finally starting to feel like winter. I'm, this is a big day, big day for me. I want you to notice I'm a shoes on. First time, first time since May on this platform, so that's a big deal. And so a real milestone in my life. I'm feeling a little restricted today. Um, so if I'm not my, see myself, that's probably it. Um, and then uh, what else is going on this weekend? Um, uh, well, this wind is amazing, isn't it? Um, you know, when I used to, when I first moved up here, uh, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever, people would say, have the winds hit yet? Yeah, wait till the winds hit. And they, they, they would think that I would hate this. And uh, let me just take a little survey here. How many of you, uh, in general, when the big winds come, you like the big winds? How many of you? Okay, there's more in this. this yeah, it's a very small percentage, but, but uh, more than any other service. Um, how many of you just really do not like the winds? Just, yeah, see, there's a majority. Well, I love the wind. I, I just love this. In fact, I've, all my life, I've loved violent weather. I just love it. <laughs> Um, I was thinking, I was uh, driving here last night, that one time I was backpacking in the Sierras with a buddy, and it was like May, and so it's right on the edge of winter, summer, spring, that whole that time right there. And uh, we're backpacking along, and it starts to rain, it starts to pour, and of course, you're generating a lot of heat in your body because you're backpacking. And so he pulls out his poncho, and I said, no, I just want to be one with the elements. And for the next, for the next two hours, I just hiked on this freezing rain, and then I got hypothermia. <laughs> and so, uh, so there is a limit. Um, and then one more thing before we get to God's word, which you're wondering if we're ever going to get there, we will eventually. Um, and that is um, just condolences to you USC fans. I'm just feeling like, oh. I, I used to be a USC fan. I quit following it a few years ago. I'm just so glad today. I'd be depressed like you are. And just want to let you know that after the service, we have special prayer for USC back here in the prayer thing. The UCLA will have a celebration right down here in the front. And so... Now, this is really interesting because all three services, I've seen that. There seems to be a lot more UCLA fans. I'm just interested in that. But a big, big supporting thing here, yeah. And uh, so anyway, um, so big weekend all the way around. But uh, if you haven't figured it out yet, my name is Pastor Mike, and welcome to Rocky Peak, especially if this is your very first time. Inside of your bulletin is a white message note sheet, and we're in the midst of a series in the book of 1 Corinthians called Changing the Way You Think. And uh, we're coming to chapter 16 today, and so I want to pray, ask God to be with us, and uh, then commit this time to him. Father, we are so thankful for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, whether we love the wind or we hate the wind, um, Lord, we really want your wind in this, in this room today. Lord, we, Lord, the wind of your spirit blowing across our life, bringing us new life. God, you said that your, your spirit moves like the wind. We don't know where it comes from, where it, it's going, but it blows across us and it gives us new life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be blowing hard in here today. God, thank you for each one of us. For the, we come from different weeks, like we sang this song. Uh, some of us, it's weeks of darkness and suffering. Some of us, weeks of blessing. But either way, we want to bless your name. And we're so thankful we get to study your word and sit around your feet and let you be our teacher today. And so we really come as a congregation, Lord, saying what we say every week, that we just want to hear from you. So would you speak and would you grace us with the power to obey? We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're coming to uh, 1 Corinthians 16. It's actually the last regular message in this series. Uh, next week, we'll have a final message, and I hope you can join us. It's going to be a very special weekend. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to look back and kind of what I've often experienced this when I've taught through series or been a part of teaching teams. You teach through a long series like that. You get to the last chapter, and you say, okay, we're done, and you go on to something else, and it seems sort of anticlimactic. And so I thought it'd be fun for us to stand back and say, okay, we've looked through this whole uh, book. We've talked about changing the way you think in so many key areas of our life. And now if we stand back, are we ready to really commit to that as a congregation, that we want to be a people who change the way we think? And so next week, and what we're going to do is I'm going to look at what I'm calling my top 10 lessons from the book of Corinthians for us. I'm calling it a foundation for our future. And as we look as a church at where God wants to take us in the future, we're going to review those top 10 lessons, what God has taught us, and then we're going to come, and at the end of this service, we're going to have a time of communion, where we're going to be able as a congregation to come before the Lord and say, yes, we want to change the way we think. We want to learn to think like you, Jesus. We want to be like you. And so I hope you can be with us next week for a very uh, special service as we wrap up this series. But today is our final regular message, and it's in chapter 16. 
Of course, the Apostle Paul has talked to us about so many important issues, but he has one last issue to talk to us about, and it's a very practical one. It has to do with our giving, our financial giving. And here's the situation. The, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul was in a fundraising mode. He was raising money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why, but the church in Jerusalem was apparently very poor at this point in time, going through a hard time. And so Paul was taking an offering from all his Gentile churches that he'd planted, uh, and he was going to make this offering and take it back to the church of Jerusalem. Now, he's doing this for a couple reasons. One reason was just because his brothers and sisters in Christ were supposed to love one another and take care of one in practical ways. But even more than that, it was a strategic move on his part. Because in the ancient church, there's this natural rift between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And there's nothing that says, I love you more than in time of need, stepping up financially and meeting that need. And so he saw this as a beautiful way to, to create unity in the church of Jesus Christ and to bring it together. And for, the, for these Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to realize, hey, these guys are the real deal. These Gentiles, we've had questions whether they could be true worshipers. Man, God really is alive in their life. They've committed their life to Jesus. They're serious about this stuff. And it was a way of bringing unity to the ancient church. And so for both reasons, the Apostle Paul was, was uh, taking this offering. Now, the church in Corinth had heard about this offering. We don't know how, but they'd heard about it. And as we'll read later, they were very excited. God began to move on their hearts the moment they heard. They were one of the first churches to hear about it. They were one of the first churches to say, we're in. We want to be a part of it. It's a beautiful thing. So God really moved on their hearts. And so Paul writes to them the book of 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 16, as we see today, he says, that's so awesome. God's touched your heart. Here's what you need to do to prepare this offering. And he gives them a very systematic plan of how to prepare their offering for him when he comes. The tragedy is, is that they didn't act on his advice. And, and this is so key in our Christian lives. You know, when God wants to grow you in any area of your life, you know how he does it. The first thing he does is he begins to put a desire for change in your heart. He begins to create a dissatisfaction with the status quo. Okay. We are, okay, just, all right. We're on an agreement today. We're going to ignore the wind, all right? Now, if the roof blows off, we'll look for a guy to be coming down a paralytic or something. We'll heal him. But before that, we're just going to ignore the wind today, all right? Because otherwise, the whole sermon, you're going to be going, does he hear that? <laughs> I, I could just say every time, yeah, I heard that one. Okay, let's go on. Yeah, I heard that one. Let's go on. Uh, so let's just go to I hear it. You hear it. It's a beautiful day out. Let's enjoy it, Okay. Remember, I love the wind. I'm in my element. I'm getting pumped up here. I'm ready to start hiking in the rain. So, uh, okay, so uh, the, the tragic thing is, is when, when God starts moving in our life, in any area of your life, he wants to change you. First thing he's going to do is he's going to put his desires in your heart to change. Now, this not, will not always be easy to change. It will often be at grace cost, but he will begin to grace your heart. He'll begin to, to motivate you to change. And then it's up to us to take that step of change. Like I said, it might not be easy. You might be a single adult here. You're in a bad relationship. You know you shouldn't be in it. God's put a heart in your heart that you need to get out of that relationship. You know that. The Holy Spirit's been telling you that. But you have to respond to his leading in your heart, and you need to act. And then you're going to grow. There might be going through a hard time in your marriage. And, and God is really putting a desire in your heart to have a different kind of marriage and to make some changes. And God's doing that, but you have to take the steps that he shows you. And this is how growth works in any area of the Christian life. God always starts the process. We have to respond, okay? Same way in giving, as we'll see later. So God had put in their hearts to give and be a part. And then the Apostle Paul said, here's the specific steps you need to take. 1 Corinthians 16. Well, they blew it off. They ignored it. And so now we move ahead six to nine months, and Paul's coming to town. They haven't collected the money. They're way behind. And so he writes a second letter, the book of 2 Corinthians. And in chapters 8 and 9, he says, hey, what's up? And he gives them some awesome advice on giving, how giving works. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the first four verses of chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16. See the instructions. I'm calling that his first instructions. Then we'll look at the second section of your note sheet where it talks about Paul's follow-up instructions in chapters 8 and 9. And then after we've looked at both his instructions, we'll come back and talk about the principles for our life. So let's jump in. So we've got our Bible, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1. Now, about the collection for God's people. That's this uh, Jerusalem project he's on. 
I want you to do what the Galatian, I told the Galatian churches to do. Um, Paul had planted these churches around the Roman Empire, and he'd, he'd uh, planted some churches in the province of Galatia. And so he said, you know, I'm giving everyone the same instructions. I want you to do what I told them to do. And so here it is, the practical advice. This is on the first day of every week. Now, what's the first day of the week? Sun, Sunday, good. Very good. Very exciting. <laughs> so the first day of the week would be? Sunday, okay. Now, when the Jewish nation, of course, was created, and God gave them the commandment that they were to take the seventh day, the last day of the week, and that was to be their Sabbath, right? So, so the Jews had worshipped on the Sabbath. Jesus comes along, he rises on the first day of the week. No coincidence. Jesus is the start of something. Whoa. <laughs> Hello. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is the start of something new. He is, Jesus is the start of a new creation week, you see? And so from that point on, Christians began to worship on Sundays, first day of the week. And so he says, on the first day of every week, um, each one of you, so everyone should be involved in this, should set aside a sum of money, put some money aside, in keeping with his income. So it should be proportionate to your income. We'll talk more about that later. And you need to save it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. So Paul says, I'm coming to town. I want you to, uh, uh, you know, I'll be coming in about a year. I want you to uh, start collecting money now. Put some aside every week. Everyone should participate. Set it aside so when I come, he says, I don't want to do fundraising. When I come into town, I don't have to put a thermometer on the, mall, on the wall and say, okay, it's time to raise money. He says, I, when I come, I want to minister. So if you just take care of the fundraising now, and then when I come, we don't have to, you know, you'll be all ready. He says in verse uh, 3, and then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve, and I'll send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So he says, when I get there, I'll take the money. You'll pick out some representatives. We'll uh, send them, I'll, I'll write a letter of introduction, introducing them to the Church of Jerusalem, and, uh, and you'll just send it, we'll send it on their way and, uh, with this, this money. And then in verse 4, he says, and if it seems advisable for me to go also, then they will accompany me. So I might go, I may not go. We'll see how that works out, okay? So that's the instructions. He says, uh, God's put it in your heart to do this amazing thing. That's great. Now you need to respond. You need to take these practical steps, a systematic uh, savings way. And when I come, I'll collect the money. We'll send it to Jerusalem. So that's the story. Now, like I said, we fast forward now six to nine months, right? And Paul is making his way now to Corinth. And when he gets but, uh, on the way, he hears that they haven't really followed through. They've not followed his instructions They've not been putting money aside. And so he writes these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, these follow-up instructions in 2 Corinthians, where he tells them, okay, look, we need to get you back on track. And in the process, he gives them some amazing principles, some, some great principles. And I got to tell you that these two passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, are some of the finest teaching in all the Bible on giving. I mean, they're just amazing passages on this whole topic. And so he kind of lays out some principles there. Now, we won't have time today to go through all chapters 8 and 9. It's too long. But we'll, we'll touch down on certain key statements he makes in this. Okay, so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 and verse 1. He says, And now, brothers, remember writing to the Corinthians, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, Corinth, remember, was in the south of Greece. It was in the province of Achaia. Uh, the Macedonia was the province to the north of them. So it'd be like we're California and they're Oregon, okay? That sort of thing. And so um, he says, let me tell you a story. Now, what he, here's what he's going to do. He's going to try to get the vision back in their lives. And the way he's going to do it is by telling them a story of what God's doing in someone else's life. So he's going to give them a model. Have you ever noticed this in your life that many times we can have good intentions, we hear a sermon, we read a book, uh, whatever, we come across a message, we say, oh, I really want to grow in that area, and then you have the best of intentions, but you never get around to growing, and, and often what we need is we need a model, that we need, like, we need a real-life person that's like us so we can kind of understand, and like, oh, that's how you do a marriage, oh, that's how you raise kids, oh, that's how you serve the Lord, oh, that's how you share your faith. You, you see, we just, oh, that's how you do conflict. We, we can hear a message on it, but often we need like a real model. And once we see the model, we go, oh, that's how it works. Well, that's what he's doing here. He says, let me share what God is doing with your neighbors to the north. And he says, and this is going to be a model for them. Now, 
Look what he says about them. Now, uh, now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, underline that word grace, right? Remember that grace in the Bible usually means God's love that we don't deserve. But it often means that the, the gifts of God's grace, that come, the gifts of God's grace where he energizes us, where he equips us, he graces us. It's a supernatural movement of God in our life to help us grow. Interesting, uh, you might not know this, but sp- the spiritual gifts we just went through, we talked about spiritual gifts. The word in the, in the Greek is charismata. Uh, charis is grace, and the gifts are charismata, gifts of grace. You see, they're supernatural ways that God works in our life. And so what he's going to say is that I want you to hear how God has done just a God thing in your neighbors to the north. He's supernaturally graced them in this area of giving. So he says in verse 2, out of the most severe, out of the, the most severe trials, so they're going through really hard times, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So he says, you're, th- these neighbors of the north, they're going through really hard times. They're financially hard times. They're going through persecution. Life is really tough. But in the midst of that, God has just graced them supernaturally. He's got a God thing in their life. And so out of the midst of their hard times, they just have this amazing joy in giving. And and although they have nothing, they've just given generously. It's a total God thing in their life. He says, verse 3, tells us more about it. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I don't know, they're borrowing money or putting on their credit card or whatever. But they're they're giving beyond their ability. And you'll notice this. This is entirely on their own. So there's no uh, arm twisting. You know, many times in Christian circles and ministry circles, we raise money. There's so much arm twisting. There's so much manipulation. There's so many drive-by guiltings. It's like, what can we do to make people give, you see? And Paul says, there's none of that. No, this was just a God thing. This was, he said, I didn't even ask them. I wasn't going to ask them. They're so poor. But look what happens entirely on their own. What did they do? They urgently pleaded. They're just begging. Paul, we want to be a part of this. And he's like, no, you guys don't have any money. You're, you're poor yourself. You, don't, you shouldn't be giving. And like, Paul, please, come on. It's, we just want to be a part of this. God had so touched their heart that they just wanted to be a part of this service. So as they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints, to the Christians in Jerusalem. That's who that's talking about. And, he says, and, and, and they did not do as we expected. In other words, they gave more than we expected. And here comes one of the most important principles of giving in all the New Testament. And we'll come back to it later. But he says, here's what they did. First of all, they gave themselves first to the Lord. We'll talk about this quite a bit today. But the first step in growing as a giver is we give ourselves to the Lord. It's basically, Lord, I'm yours. Everything I have is yours. I give myself to you. And before we even think about where we give our money, we give ourselves to the Lord, you see? And then the Lord directs us how to give, see? So that's what it says. It says, first of all, they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us, to this ministry, this, this offering, in keeping with God's will, as God showed him it was his will. Skip to verse seven. So he's, he's given this example, the Macedonians, and he says in verse seven, now, just as you excel in everything, you Corinthians, you're growing in your life, you're learning to excel. He gives some examples. You're growing in your faith. You're growing in your speech. You're growing in your knowledge. You're growing in complete earnestness. You're taking your faith really seriously. And in your love for us, you're growing in your love. So just as God is growing you in all these other areas of your life, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Okay? We'll come back to that. But catch that word grace again. It's a key word that keeps coming up here. Verse 10. Now, here's my advice about what's best for you. Catch that. Giving is about what's best for us, you see. He says, here's my advice, what is about best for you in this matter. He said, last year, you were the first not only to give, when they first heard about this project, they made some initial offerings. You were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. He said, when you started off, God touched your heart. You were just like these Macedonians. You were the first not only to give, desire to give. You are passionate about this project. He says, so now you need to get back on track. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it in the beginning may be matched by your completion of it now. And catch this again, according to your means. Second time, he said that giving is proportionate. It's according to our means. 
Now, one more passage. Go to verse, uh, chapter 9 and verse 6. He says, remember this. And these whole chapters, chapter 8 and 9, are about finances and giving from start to finish. And so he says, remember this. He uses a farming analogy. Whoever sows sparingly. In other words, he says, if, you, if your generosity towards God financially, if it's sparingly, you just won't put a few seeds in the ground, he said, then you will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously, they generously give to God his kingdom, his purposes, they will also reap generously. He says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. What's God put in your heart? What's God showing you? That's what you should give. You shouldn't give reluctantly. You shouldn't give under compulsion because someone's guilting you out or twisting your arm because God loves a cheerful giver. We'll come back back to that statement. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace, there's that word again, all grace abound to you so that in all things... At all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As you step out and you give what God puts in your heart to give, guess what? God will always be there to give you what you need so you can give to other good things. You see? God will cause it to abound. He'll bless you for that. All right? So that's the passage. Now, in the time that we have, I want to look at four very important principles about giving that flow out of these uh, two passages, 1 Corinthians 16 and uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I'd encourage you to maybe take your kit card, your keep in touch card or something else and mark, you know, 1 Corinthians 16 and then uh, hold your finger in the other one so you can kind of flip back and forth because we're going to be going back and forth between these two passages. But four principles, and there's, there's uh, way more than four. Like I said, this chapters 8 and 9 especially are so rich. But these are four, as I prayed about, I originally had five, and oh, we don't have time for that. And just kind of pray. These are the ones I really felt like the Lord wanted us to hone in on. So let's, let's jump in. Number one. The first one goes like this. God's out to turn us into givers. And it's a supernatural process. God is out today. If you're a follower of Jesus, I won't ask for a show of hands in here. Have you given your life to Christ yet? Have you stepped over the line? Have you given the steering wheel of your life? Are, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, I, I know this about God's plan for your life. Is it one of God's plans for your life is to turn you into a giver. It's just the way it is. It's impossible to be a follower of Jesus and not grow in the area of giving. At least that's God's desire for you. And I'll tell you why. It's because God is a giver. See, the whole point of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, right? That's the whole point. We follow Jesus to become like Jesus. That's the theme of this church. That's why we do church. We come to to learn to Jesus, to follow Jesus. We come like Jesus. And the point that Paul is going to make to us is that Jesus is a giver. He is the ultimate giver. And so God wants to transform our character, and make us givers. You see, oftentimes as Christians, we think in little boxes. We think, well, this little box over here, well, God wants me to give. I don't know why. Why? So the pastor can get a salary. Who knows? But God wants me to give, and this is something Christians are supposed to do, in this little box over here called giving. Well, God wants me to pray, and these, there's certain things we're supposed to do. It's not like that. God wants to turn you to have the character of Jesus. And since Jesus is a giver, he wants to transform you into a giver. And so, in fact, he says this. So take your Bibles. We'll take a look at we, a verse we skipped over. Chapter 9, and verse, or chapter 8, rather, in verse 9. This is a really powerful verse. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Have you ever really thought through what Jesus gave up in terms of his standard of living to come to save us? Have you ever thought of it in terms of financial terms? No, I think most of us never think about that. But stop and think about it. Jesus lived in the most exclusive gated community <laughs> in the universe. And he came to be born in a barn. Now, would you say that's a little bit of lowering your standard of living? Well, we often don't think about this. But that's the point Paul's about to make. He's going to say... Stop and think about who you follow. We follow a man who gave up his standard of living so that he could increase his standard of giving. That's who we follow. 
So for a Christian to be a non-giver, it's a sick, it's a sick situation. There's, there's some kind of disease going on. There's some sort of um, problem. There's malnutrition. There's something happening in a believer's life that's not growing in the area of giving because it's just so core to who Jesus is. So let's look at what he says. In verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Uh, you might say dirt poor. He grew up as a poor boy, a poor man. Now, I, last year at Christmas, I don't know if you remember this message, but I talked about this, how for us to understand, I, I was trying to get my hands around this last year at Christmas time. What did he give up to come to earth? And what I remember, what I could think about, only analogy I could think of is, imagine, I looked up some of the, the richest estates in this area. You know, $32 million, $64 million in the Brentwood or whatever, you know, the, some of the richest areas. And then just imagine that one of those movie stars one day said he was giving it all away so he could go live in a little hovel in Calcutta, India, and live with the poor and minister to them. And we would just be blown away. Like, who does that? That's amazing. And yet I began to realize that that is even not a comparison between the gated community that Jesus lived in and this earth compared to him. And he came and was born in a cave, you see. And so Paul says, look, we follow the ultimate giver. You know, if we're going to grow up as followers of Jesus, this is an area we need to grow. So he says this in, in chapter 8 and verse 7. He says, just as you excel, you're growing in all kinds of areas, in faith and speech and knowledge and your earnestness, your love for us. You're growing in all these areas. Guess what? See that you also excel. You grow up in this grace of giving, okay? So God's out to make us a giver, into the givers. But this is a supernatural work of God. That's the second part of this principle. He's, he's out to turn us into givers, but it's a supernatural process. I was kind of talking about this before, but I want to just land here for just a minute. You see, when God wants us to change in any area of our life, it's a supernatural process. Many times as Christians, we don't understand this. We think that we come to Jesus as a supernatural process, but then after we come to Jesus, we're on our own. And from that point out, it's willpower, baby, right? It's like, you tell me the rules and I'll keep them. Have any of you found that willpower doesn't work real well? See, we are a fallen race, aren't we? If willpower worked, Jesus didn't need to come to die. Willpower was all about the law. Here's the law, go do it. That's willpower. That system did not work. The new system is that God is going to come and live inside our lives and change us from the inside out. Our Christian life is a supernatural journey from beginning to end. And so our part is, is just to lock on, God, what are you doing in my life? What, what, what's up? Where are you leading me? And so, so God begins supernaturally to change us. And this is true in the, in the area of giving as any other area. See, I don't know if you're like me. I think most people, when it comes to finances, we're, we're one kind of, uh, we're either one extreme or the other, or maybe somebody's in the middle. But um, when it comes to money, as human beings, some of us in this room tend to be spenders, right? How many of you would say, I'm a spender? You just admit it. Okay, great. We've got Celebrate Recovery coming. All right. Um, <laughs> How many of you are like savers? Just naturally, you're naturally going to save. See, some of you are that clean. And so as human beings, we tend to be either savers or spenders. Have you ever noticed we don't, most people don't tend to be givers? It's not natural. Who would on purpose intentionally reduce their standard of living so they can increase their standard of giving? That's just not natural. Are, are we agreed on this? And so if we're going to become givers, guess what? It has to be supernatural, because it's not natural. And that's what we see in this story. Look at chapter 8, at verse 1. Paul says, let me share with you what happened to these churches of the north. He says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace. There's that word, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Well, what does that look like, Paul? What does grace look like when God graces a church in the area of giving? What does that look like? He says, well, here's what it looks like. He says, they're going through a severe trial, verse 2, and yet they have this overflowing joy and they have this extreme poverty and that yet it's rich generosity. He says, that's what it looks like. When God's on the move in a person's life, he does unnatural things. And when God's in the move in the area of giving, he takes people who would naturally be savers or spenders and he starts putting a desire in their heart to give. It's a supernatural thing, you see? 
Let's go to number two. Second principle. The second principle is, what's our responsibility in this whole process? Well, our responsibility is always, our job is to respond to his leading. If we want to grow and become like Jesus in this area of our life, we just have to respond to his leading. It's like any other area of the Christian life. We talked about the story. If, if, if God is on the move, what's your responsibility? You need to step out. You need to do what he's telling you. That's how you grow. Many times in Christian circles, we mistake this. We don't understand. We think that the desire to grow is growth. Okay? The desire to grow isn't growth. And we will mistake this. We'll go to a sermon or hear a worship service. And we get all fired up. I really want to grow. And we'll feel great about ourselves. We'll feel like we're really growing. But the desire to grow is not growth. Growth happens when we step in obedience and take the practical steps that God says, here's how you grow. So he plants the desire, we take the steps that he shows us. Now, the, the Macedonians had done this perfectly. They were just such a model. So if you look at that verse again I talked about earlier, 8.5. It's just a great, great passage on giving. He says, um, they did not do as we expected. In other words, they... They went beyond what we expected. But here's what they did. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. See, it's a two-step plan. Growing and giving is a two-step plan. We give ourselves first to the Lord. Now, what's that look like? Giving yourself to the Lord means, first of all, that you come before him, you say, God, everything I own, everything I have is of yours. My body's yours, my mind's yours, my gifts are yours, my resources are yours, my financial resources are yours. Everything I am, everything I have, the Bible says we've been bought with a price. And when, we get, when he bought us with a price, every, everything goes with it, right? And so everything I have, everything I am is yours. And so I'm giving my finances to you. That's the first step. What do you want me to do? I give myself to you, not my money. First, I give myself. You see that? We don't say, here's my money. We say, I give myself. Then we ask, what do you want us to do? Can I tell you something? This is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make in your Christian life. That I just believe this with all my heart, that many Christians get truncated, never grow up, never, uh, uh, never, you know, never develop, stay at a developmental stage very early in their life over this issue. Jesus once said, he said, no man can serve two masters. You either love the one, hate the other, hate the one, love the other. And then he says, of all the applications you could apply it to, he says, so it's impossible to love God and money. Right? That's what he said. Now, why did he put his finger on that issue? <laughs> because he realizes this is one of the most important spiritual challenges of life. And, and for every believer, there comes a day in our life where we need to surrender our finances to the Lord. We say, Lord, I'm yours, all yours. Here's my net worth. What do you want me to do with it? And that's what they did. That's what the message is. And then after they gave themselves to the Lord, they felt like the Lord was putting in their heart to be part of this offering. And so then they said, okay, we've given ourselves first to the Lord. Now we're going to give ourselves to the Apostle Paul in this, this mission. See, and that's how giving should always work. Um, Throughout the year, I write you ministry updates on a variety of things. You'll be getting one this week. Just on a variety of Christmas things and New Year's things, stuff like that. And, uh, and in there, I always give you a financial update. Here's where we are. And if you've noticed, this is what I always say, and it's based on this passage of Scripture. What I always say is, you know, I try to be honest. Here's the needs. Here's where we are, congregation, as a fin fin financially. Here's where we are. So I tell you that. And then what I ask you to do, I always ask you, would you pray? And would you simply ask God what he wants you to do in regard to this? Because my confidence is, as a congregation, if we will just ask the Lord, give ourselves to the Lord, and we ask him what he wants us to do, and he, and he shows us, and we just do that piece, that we'll be fine. You see? No manipulation, no guilt. It's just present ourselves first to the Lord, and then we, we do what he says and, you know, with our, our finances. Okay? So, so that's the, uh, the second principle. Now, I, you know, I, just for example, I was thinking back to this in... Uh, in our lives, Lynn and I, you know, Lynn and I got married really young. She was 13, and I was, uh, I was 11. Uh, uh, actually, I was a little older. I was 19. She was 21, so she signed for me, so it's all legal. But uh, anyway, uh, 
So we got married young, and, and uh, we were really wanted to follow the Lord. Now, I wanted to please him, but we were pretty poor. We just got out of college, and, and uh, I had a, a job at a, a private school. that didn't pay very much. Uh, she was just starting as a nurse, and so our money was tight. But we just really wanted to follow the Lord. Now, I wasn't a pastor or anything. Just wanted to, just wanted to follow him. What does it mean to follow you? Now, we'd grown up in different families, obviously. Um, I'd grown up in my family. Uh, some of you are going, huh? Okay, I get it. Uh, uh, in my family growing up, um, my, my parents were tithers. Do you understand what tithing is? You know, tithing is in the Old Testament. You have 10% of your money off the top to God. And, uh, and so I grew up in a family of tithers. And so from the time I was a little boy, I'd been taught this. In fact, my dad would come in. Every, every Sunday I would come in before church. And, uh, and of course, you know, money was worth more then. But uh, when I, I'd come in and he'd give me two dimes. And he'd say to me, I'm probably three years old, four years old. And he'd say, now Mike, one dime's for you and one dime is for the Lord. Take it to the offering. And I, it wasn't until later I realized that was actually a 50% tithe, by the way. <laughs> If I was thinking, I would have said, Dad, I only have to give one cent. Can I keep, you know, 19 or whatever, but, or two cents out of 20. But um, anyway, so, so I grew up with this concept of tithing. Now, now, Lynn grew up in a non-Christian family, so we get married, and she's like, 10%, are you kidding me? It's like, that's a lot of money, you know? And so we were just praying about this, and, and frankly, we, neither one of us knew what we should do because, you know, there's some Christians who teach that the, uh, the, the believe that the Old Testament teaches tithing. It's a New Testament thing all the way through. Uh, and so all Christians should tithe. Other Christians believe, no, it was the Old Testament thing, and the New Testament thing, uh, God wants us to be generous, we'd be led by his spirit, probably not going to give less than that, because, you know, if we, after Jesus, what he's done, we'll probably won't get less, but, but, you know, it's, it's more fluid. You know, we're supposed to just kind of pray, and God will lead us, and maybe it's a good rule of thumb to start with, or something like that. And, and we didn't know, I mean, we didn't really know which, who was right, and so we just went before the Lord, and we said, Lord, um, we want to give ourselves to you. We did what the Macedonians did. So, Lord, we want to give ourselves to you. Everything we have is yours. Not a whole lot, but whatever we have, it's yours. We just want to please you in this matter. And so would you teach us? Would you lead us? And as we began praying that over the next few weeks, uh, I believe God really graced our hearts. He, he supernaturally began to grace our hearts. And here's what it was for us. And I, I've never heard anyone else say this or in their life. This may just our story, but this is how it worked in our life. Is that I began to have this growing sense that this was the church we were part of, that this was a place of our spiritual home, this was a place of spiritual growth for us, and that I just had this growing sense of why would I want someone else to be paying for my spiritual growth? That I just felt like, well, I want to be doing my part, you see? And it just began this, this thing, and it was a joy. It was like, well, yeah, that answers the question. I want to do my part. And so we decided, yeah, we are going to do that. We are going to tie. And we felt like God led us. And so, but the point was, you see that, you see that connection? It's like, God, what do you want us to do? And then as we prayed about it, we felt he began to lead us, and then we responded, and that's, what, and that's what the Macedonians did. Now, this is exactly what the Corinthians didn't do, and this is why they got into trouble. See, God graced their hearts just like he graced the Macedonians. They were the first to hear about it. They were the first to give. They were all excited. And then Paul wrote them 1 Corinthians 16 and said, here's how to do it. Here's the practical steps. And they didn't follow up in obedience. They didn't do the next step. God was moving. They didn't obey. And the end result was that they lost the vision. And they, and they just, they did not carry through, okay? So, so that's the second, the second principle then is um, the first one is that God's going to turn us, uh, turn us into givers and uh, it's a supernatural, but it's our job to respond to his leading, okay? Number three. The third, third principle that flows out of this passage is about our giving. And it goes like this. Our giving should be three things. It should be, first of all, regular. Secondly, it should be systematic. And third, it should be proportionate. And, and these principles flow out of uh, 1 Corinthians 16. So if you turn back there in verse 2. In fact, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul gives us five principles about giving in one verse. Pretty amazing. And so let's just walk it through. Verse 2. He says, first of all, on the first day of every week. Okay, so it's the first day. He says, when, you, when it comes to giving, it's a first day. In other words, it's, this is a top priority. 
There's kind of two ways to approach giving. One way is to wait to the end of the month and see how much you have left over, right? Another, another way of giving is to look back a month and say how, or a week, or in this case a week, you look back a week and say, how has he blessed me? And then how should I give accordingly? You see those two, one looks, one waits here out of money at the end of the month and you look back and you decide. One starts in the month and say, how much do I have to live on? And then what of that I have to give? So he's teaching us a principle here that the first thing, uh, that, that giving is to be a top priority. And this is taught through the whole Bible. It's called the first fruits principle. During the harvest, you give the first fruits to the Lord uh, kind of off the top, okay? So I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life, but many times uh, you can approach giving this way that I'm going to see how the month comes out and then at the end of the month, we'll figure out how to give. Uh, have you ever discovered that it doesn't really work? That you always, you never have enough money at the end of the month. And so Paul says, no, you don't do it that way. First of every week, you look back, you see, what has God given me this week? Based on that, I'm going to make my decision what to give, you see. So it's, it's the top priority. And that's the first, first principle. Second thing is, notice it's every week. He says, giving should be regular and systematic. Uh, sometimes people ask me as a pastor, well, do you think it's important that I give every Sunday or every weekend? And I, I tell them, honestly, I don't. You know, I don't think so. Uh, I don't think this is like a rule for all time, all places. It's got to be every Sunday. What if I do my bills on Wednesday? You know, it's like, it's not, it's not the point. The point is it needs to be regular and systematic. I think what Paul understands is here's these Corinthians. They, God's moved in their heart. They want to help out. They're all excited. And he realizes, though, that unless they have a systematic plan of giving, they're going to come to the end and they're not going to have any money. You see, and this is like any area of our life. If you want to be successful, you got to have a plan. And so he says it should be every day of, uh, or every Sunday. Okay, third thing. So it's on the first day of the week. It's every week. Now, the third one, notice he says, each one of you, that giving is something for everybody. We'll see in a minute, we'll give different amounts, but it's something for everybody. One of the tragedies of American Christianity is you kind of often have the Pareto principle offering in, operating in churches where you have like 20% of the people giving 80% of the money. You know, you have 20% of the, the people doing 80% of the serving, you know. And so Paul says, no, no, no. If we're going to grow up and be like Jesus and we're going to be a church, a mature church, he says, everyone does this. Not in the same amount. We'll get to that in a second. The fourth thing he says is you need to set aside a sum of money. So the fourth thing we need to do is we need to separate our living income from our giving in income. That, in other words, if you just say you leave it all together, um, it's going to get spent. So he says you need to set aside a sum. So it might be uh, it quicken, you create a new account. It might be if you do your uh, kind of the envelope uh, method of budgeting, you create a new envelope. You create a new bank account, but he says in some way you've got to get this money for this offering out of your general, uh, your general fund. You've got to get it out, and you've got to get it into separate funds so you don't live off of that. Okay? And then the last thing he says is that it's uh, in keeping with his income. So it's proportionate. In other words, some will give more, some will give less. He says this twice. Uh, let's turn back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And verse 11. Now finish the work so your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion according to your means. See, second time there. According to your means. And then he tells us why. He says, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. You see, heaven counts money differently than earth. See, on earth... We count it by who gave the most. How much money do you give? This is how we measure an We say, okay, how much money? Oh, they gave a lot. Wow, that's a lot. We, we count it by the amount. Heaven doesn't count how much you gave. Heaven counts how much it costs you to give. Big difference. That's why the woman at the temple, when she put in the two, the two little uh, pennies, and Jesus said she gave more than everyone else. Why? Because it cost her so much. And this is so important because I think in the church at Corinth, this probably happens here, the church at Rocky Peak, is that there's some of us here who feel badly that we can't give more. Maybe you're without a job right now, or you have a low-paying job, and, and so you're giving to the Lord, but it just doesn't amount to that much because you just don't, aren't making that much. 
and you feel badly about it, and you feel like, I wish I could give more. And this verse is such an encouragement to you that God doesn't care about the amount. He cares about the willingness. See, he's about the heart, you know? But on the other hand, there's some people in Corinth, probably some, some people here at Rocky Peak, that give a lot in an amount. But God counts it differently. He says, well, yeah, it's a lot, but compared to what you have, it's very little, you see? So it works both ways. God's measuring the willingness. So, so he says it should be proportionate. Uh, proportionate. And of course, this is like basically the Old Testament tithe was proportionate, wasn't it? You know, whether you believe it's for today or not or whatever, it's proportionate because if you make 10000 a year, you're going to give 10% and it's going to be 1000 You make 100000 a year, it's going to give 10000 And so it's, it's proportionate. Uh, it's, it's according to your, your means. So, okay, so that's number three. Now, number four. The fourth principle, and this one can be really abused. And so... I'm, I know for some of you, you'll probably have like, you know, yellow lights going up right now. Whoa, where are we going with this? And so just hang with me for two minutes, all right? I just want to warn you. It ha- can and has been abused, but it's still true. That God will bless you when you give. And I'm talking about financially here. The Bible teaches consistently, there's a general rule, God will bless you financially when you give. Now, this principle has often been abused, hasn't it? This is like a favorite kind of concept of, of the TV preachers trying to raise money or the whole health and wealth gospel thing out there. And basically it goes like this, that God wants you healthy and he wants you wealthy. And so if you give to God, he'll give back to you. You give to him with a little spoon, he'll give back to you with a big spoon. You give him a big spoon, he'll give a bigger spoon. You can't now give God. Your sons and daughters are the king. And so God wants you to be wealthy. You all should have Cadillacs, whatever. You know, it's, that's kind of the way this kind of thing goes. And it's, it's awesome for fundraising, you know. Works really well, and that's why it's used sometime. But you stop and think how ridiculous that teaching is. Because look at this passage that we've been, been looking at right here. The whole point, who's Paul taking this offering for? The poor Christians in Jerusalem, right? Uh, what, God didn't want them wealthy? Yeah. Okay, well, maybe they weren't givers. Maybe that's why they're so poor. Well, who is he using as his model? The poor Christians in Macedonia who are giving incredibly. And they're poor, right? And so this teaching that God wants everyone healthy or wealthy or whatever, it's obviously off base and wrong. There's no one-to-one correlation. God doesn't owe you. You, know, he owes, you give him 100, he gives you 110 back. He doesn't owe you. This is a wrong teaching. But it is a teaching of Scripture consistently as a general practice and rule. God will bless you financially when you give. But Paul says there's an interesting twist. Here's his twist. When God blesses us, it's not so much to increase our standard of living. There's nothing wrong with that. When God blesses us, guess what? It's to increase our standard of giving. That's what they don't tell you on TV. You give, God will give you more. Yes, so you can give more. You see? You can become even a greater giver. So let's see how this plays out. Chapter 9 and verse, uh, start at verse 6. So remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. We're talking about finances. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So it's a general principle of life. Verse 8. And God's able to make all grace abound to you Continue to grace your life so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you can increase your standard of living. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, heresy version. Uh, So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you can travel around the world. Wrong, wrong, wrong. No, It's so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you'll be able to abound in every good work, like this Jerusalem project, you see? Now, if there's any question, if that's what he means, look down at verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so so that you can be generous on every occasion, see? And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You see how that works? Is it, 
This is a way God wants to bless the world. He wants to bless the world through us. And when, we creates, when he creates in us and he makes us givers, the end result is that God is going to be praised. You see? So let's wrap this thing up. So we've learned today that one of God's key areas of our life, he wants us to change the way of thinking. He wants to change us from the inside out. He wants to turn us into givers. We're naturally savers. We're naturally spenders. It doesn't come naturally. But supernaturally, it's a supernatural work of God that he wants to turn us into givers so we can be like his son. We have love for people, a love for his kingdom. People who would willingly sacrifice their standard of living in order to increase their standard of giving. And he promises if we'll be that kind of people that will have joy in it, that, that joy will overflow. And he promises that he will bless us financially so that we can be a blessing to others and so he will be praised. You see, that's his teaching on giving. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, I'm just amazed every week as we get to study your word and just how wise it is and how profound it is. And we're so thankful Lord, for these lessons you teach us, we're so thankful for 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, your word. God, and and we want to grow as givers. God, I'm the first to admit that I'm a spender, I'm a saver, I'm not naturally a giver. And God, I know in my life, for me to grow in this area, it will be only because of your grace, because you grace me and you move. And I pray you'd continue to teach me more about this in my life. Lord, we pray about this as a congregation. Lord, we pray that you would teach us here as individual followers of you, and as the church at Rocky Peak, Lord, that we would do this, that we would give ourselves first to you, and then as you show us what to do, we'd give ourselves to whatever projects or, or needs or callings you have in mind. God, we just confess that we, we want to be, we want to be a church that's excelling not only in faith and love, in speech and knowledge, in earnestness, But we want to be a church that excels in the grace of giving. And so, Lord, we present ourselves to you today, and we ask here as a a church, we ask that you would teach us this. We know it's not natural, so we know we need your help. We ask you to teach us how to excel in the grace of giving. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm